Well, you should have got received uh, notes for uh, what we're going to be talking about today. The title of this message actually comes from a pop song. What's love got to do, got to do with it? What's love? It's a second-hand emotion. Okay, so, so what's love got to do with it? Um, if you, you know, it's amazing that you can be around the truth so much and yet have the truth not really touch you. There's a place in First John where he says, we have come to know, and then he says, and have believed the love which God has for us. A lot of people get stuck between we have come to know. You're here at Bible school and you're in this environment, this atmosphere. You've come to know about the love of God. But you haven't necessarily come to the place that you have believed in God's love uniquely for you. We have come to know and have believed that love of God. And I want to talk to you a little bit about that because I would probably say, if I was to say, what is the, the greatest, most life-changing insight, revelation that I have received in all my, uh, I, I, I have to celebrate today too. Today is my uh, uh, anniversary, 42 years, Terry and I. Hallelujah. <laughs> Woo. She's, 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 she couldn't be here today, but that, uh, she, maybe she's going to be with us at lunchtime. But um, 42 amazing, superb, awesome years together. But, you know, again, you have come to know and have believed. And in these many years, you know, before that even, I was walking with the Lord and everything else. All these many years, the greatest revelation, and it didn't come at the beginning. It came later into my walk with the Lord, is what I want to share with you about this morning. Because this, this realization about the love of God, we have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. If you've been here for any length of time, you've seen me share this, uh, this simple idea. You know, we have, we have God here, and I've got, uh, I'll put me down here, and we'll put others over here. And for the longest time, even though I was in the Word of God, even though I was with believers, even though I was, uh, you know, connecting with people for the longest time, I thought that the most important thing that there was was my love for God. And I thought, you know, if you really love the Lord, if you really, you know, give him your best, if you really, you know, this kind of, that's the most important thing. And in my mind, I kind of had, I, I probably wouldn't have verbalized it if you had said it, but if I say in my heart what it was like this, it was that I love God and then he responds by loving me. 
and that I have just got to, I've just got to, I gotta buckle down. I gotta give it my best. I gotta throw myself into it. I've got to love God with all my heart. You know, you could say those words here in, in the church in general and all this kind of thing, and everybody will agree with you. Yeah, we need to love God. That's, you know, we did. But for, see, for me, I knew about the love of God. I knew that he had a love for me, but it all depended on my love for God. I loved God, and then God responded, and he loved me. Now, here's the problem with this. If, it is, if that is the way it actually works, then really everything is dependent upon who? It's dependent upon me. If this is the way it actually works, I have to love God. I've got to show it. I've got to, you know, feel it. I've got to experience I have to love God, and then he will respond by loving me. And, 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 and that's really what I, and so it all depended on me. And as a result of that, my Christian life was filled with anxiety. Could God really use me? Could, you know, what about when I stumble? What about when I fail? What about when I'm weak? What about when, when, when I, I don't have full understanding? What about all these kinds of things? And I just said, man, this thing is all dependent on me. I've got to keep up this love for God, and then God will love me in return. And this was way, the way I lived. And it's possible to be at Bible school and live like this. It's possible to... Uh, be a Christian in the church, you know, just because they used to say it this way, you know, before, because just because you're in a cookie jar doesn't make you a cookie, right? Just because you're in church doesn't make you a real born-again believer. You know what? Just because you're in Bible school doesn't make you a real born-again believer. What is it that has to happen? What's the, what's the reality? What's the thing that has to take place? And for me, it was the greatest single thing that happened. It totally changed my anxiety-filled Christian experience, this thing that was so weighty and so heavy for me, so, so trying, it changed when I came to this realization that, number one, God loved me. That I have to come to know and believe that God loves me. And that if I come to that realization, if I come to that, if I, if I experience, see, this is why it's not enough for me to know. You've got to believe it, he's saying, but you, you've got to experience it. It's not enough for me just to have it in my head, this idea that God loves me, but I've got to feel it. I've got to experience the love of God. God loves me, and then I, in response, love God. My love for God is dependent on his love for me. If I don't have that recognition of his love for me, then I cannot love God. If, I, if, if it's all dependent on me, I'm in a constant competition with others. I can't really love other people because, because they are also have a relationship with God. And if it's all dependent on me, then I'm, I'm having to work my way and try to please God all the time and keep him happy and all this kind of thing instead of me realizing, you know what, it's not about me. It's about God's love for me. And then I love God. And then because now I know that I'm loved, it's okay, I can love you. That's okay, I can love you. 
I can love you because there's no, I'm not afraid of you anymore. You're not a competitor for the love of God or for the affection of God with me anymore. No, I'm absolutely assured of God's love for me. I remember one time um, I was uh, traveling and I was away at a, at a men's conference and it was about 10 o'clock at night. Uh, I think it was like on a Friday night at the conference. It was like around 10 o'clock at night. And the guy was finishing up speaking. And as he finished up speaking, you know, we're kind of praying at the end. And I get this overwhelming sense, you need to call your son, Toby. Toby at this time probably is like maybe 9, 10 years old. And uh, I had been traveling a ton and had been really busy with, uh, with what I had been involved in the church and, and traveling ministry and things like that. And he and I hadn't really gotten to spend a whole lot of time together in the immediate time around this, this event. I was at this event again because I was speaking and, and a part of this. But I got this overwhelming sense, you need to talk to Toby. You need to talk to Toby. So uh, I finish up. I I go, uh, in those days we had these things called pay phones. You've never seen one, I'm sure. But uh, I put my money in the pay phone and called my house. And my wife picked up. It was, now it was a little after 10. And uh, I, said, uh, I, I said, is Toby still up? I'd like to, I'd like to talk to him. And, uh, and uh, my wife said, well, he's in bed, but I don't think he's sleeping yet. I said, would you get him? I said, I just, I just feel like I need to say something to him tonight. And uh, so Toby gets on the phone, hi, Dad. And, uh, and I said, hi, Toby. I said, Toby, I was thinking about you tonight, and I wanted to say something to you. And I said, Toby, you mean more to me than life. I said, you, you mean so much to me. I said, I would lay my life down for you. I said, you mean so much to me, Toby. I love you so much. He was quiet for a moment. He said, well, thanks, Dad. And I said, I said, I didn't really have anything else to say. I just wanted you to know tonight I love you and how deeply I love you, that you, are, that you, you literally would, you, 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 my, my life is not more precious to me than you are. And so we hung up the phone. The next day I come back after the conference ends, I drive home and I come into the house and uh, my wife sees me and she says, what did you say to Toby? And I said, well, it really wasn't anything great. I said, I just told him how much I love him. She said, well, I, I went to his room, and he was weeping in his bed, just sobbing and weeping. And she said, I didn't know what you said to him. So I, you know, I said, Toby, what, what, why are you crying? It was, it was Dad, what he said, what he said. Well, what did Daddy say? He said, he loved me, you know. And, uh, and, and, she, and you, you see, what was happening there I loved him before that moment. Are you with me? If you had asked him, he would have said, my dad loves me. But there's a difference between knowing something and somehow having it penetrate you so that you believe. Are you with me? Is it making sense to you what I'm talking about? We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God, there, there is a, there's an experience of love that's beyond just my intellectual 
understanding, and it's absolutely the core of everything. You're not going to be, I couldn't lead this school unless I knew God loved me. I, I, you cannot rush out like David rushes to face a giant. You cannot do that unless you think in yourself somehow you must be special. Right? Because if you don't think that you are loved, if you don't think that you're special, then your brain, logical brain kicks in and says, nine foot giant versus puny me. Are you with me? I'm dead. The only thing that will make you do something bold and crazy like that is if somehow you think you got something going for you. There's something people don't know, other people around, that they don't understand that you have going for you. You want to know what I have going for me? God loves me. <laughs> you know, well, how could you do this crazy thing? Come in here and try to, you know resurrect the school and see it become this and that and, and step out and be able to give degrees. and how, how could you, it hasn't been able to be done in 90 years before this. How can it happen now? You know how it can happen? Because I'm loved. God loves me. God has a plan. You know, this is, this is, you know, this scripture I'm quoting to you is from 1 John. Think about 1 John. Remember what 1 John, how, how he refers to himself in the, in, the, in the gospel of John? Remember that? What's he call himself? The beloved disciple. The disciple that Jesus loved. Can you, can you? I have a feeling that if you were around John, you might have thought to yourself, this guy seems a little arrogant. He seems like he thinks he's kind of special. Right? And you know what? You'd have been absolutely right. He thought he was, he thought he was the disciple that Jesus loved. Hey, don't even bother to use my name. Just call me the disciple that Jesus loved. You don't, you know, it's just... How many disciples were there? Oh, there were 12 disciples, but uh, names aren't important. There's, I'm the, I'm the, I'm, I am John, the disciple that Jesus loved. See? If, if you were writing your story, what would it say? You know. I am Mike, the disciple that Jesus tolerated. <laughs> you know, I am Sarah, the pudgy disciple. You know, I am, I am uh, James, the, you know, whatever. What, you know, what, what, how do you see yourself? Do you see yourself as tolerated? Do you see yourself somehow that God in his... Now, I, I don't say I'm special to you because I had a fantastic life growing up. Some people could look at my life growing up and thought, you know, uh, if that was special, you really had a, you know, that was kind of a crazy situation. I've got, you know, got, I'm telling you now, right now, that I have had a revelation 
I don't understand all the details. I don't get how it all works together. I don't understand where suffering fits in. I don't understand where all these different things. But I have a revelation that God loves me. And Paul wants you and I to have that revelation, just a deep sense of the approval and the love of God. Uh, if you look at, uh, in your notes, uh, it's, it says Ephesians uh, 3, 17 and 18. It's, I'm reading them from the, from the Living Bible. It's a prayer that Paul prays for the Ephesian believers. Now, if you're like me, when you pray for something, you pray for what you think is the most important thing. And this is what he says, verse 17, he says, And I pray that Christ will be more and more at home in your hearts, living within you as you trust in him. May your roots go down deep into the soil of God's marvelous love. Now, how I would have read that before was this. Let your roots go down deep into the soil of your love for God. That's how I was reading it in my brain. But that's not what he's saying. He's saying your roots need to go down deep into the revelation of God's marvelous love for you. And may you be able to listen to the language, the romantic language. <coughs> and may you be able to feel and understand, as all God's children should, how long, how wide, how deep, how high his love really is. And to experience this love for yourselves, though it is so great that you will never see and the end, the end of it or fully know or understand it. And so at last, you will be filled up with God himself. He's telling us that the, at last, he says, the result of this revelation, God loves me. And I love him. He says the result of this is that you will be filled up. You will be filled up with God himself. You know, you, get, you need to be rooted, he said. I don't know if you know what it is to be rooted in something. I remember uh, years ago, my wife, uh, this time of year is the honey to-do list time of year at our house. And, and uh, my, my wife would make her honey-do list for me and and uh, she still does. As a matter of fact, I have it sitting at my table right now in my house. But, um, but uh, she wanted to have some plants taken out of the front of the house, ones that we, bushes we had put in years before. And there was a tree at the corner of the house that had kind of freaked out and grown in a very weird way. And she wanted this tree also, you know, pulled out. So I'm thinking to myself, how can I do this? You know, because I can envision myself out there with a shovel, digging, 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 trying to get this tree out of the ground. And I'm thinking, I, and so I come up with this idea. I said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to tie my van, my Chevy Astro van, to the tree, and I'm going to jerk the tree right out of the ground, right? So, you know, it's, it wasn't a big, you know, it was only like this big around kind of a thing. And so I, I said, okay, I, I can do this. So, I, so, so there were a couple of plants up there, but, you know, bushes that had been planted for a long time. I put the, I tied around the bush, the first bush, 
We had my van right in the front yard all hooked up, put that baby in drive, stomped on the gas, boom, you know, kind of bounced up and down. And then I did it again, boom, and the second time I did it, bam, that thing came flying out of the ground, you know, and, and I come out, and I'm really pleased. My wife's on the porch looking at me like, you, you know, you think you're getting away with something, you know what I mean? She, I can tell she she's, she's doesn't feel good about this. And so, so then I go to the second bush. I do the same thing, pull away a little, bam, you know, and, and I pull away a bam, and bam, that thing comes flying out of the ground. I'm getting out now, I'm smiling, you know, the neighbors, everybody, you know, I'm really thrilled. And uh, so I come down to the tree now. Now this tree, I, I cut all the branches off of it. So now it's standing about this high, and it's just a you know, brown tree down to the ground. I tie, the, tie the, uh, the van to that baby, and I put that baby in gear, and I slam on it, and bam, bam, the back end of the thing comes up, bam, down, you know. And so I thought, okay, that's number one. Number two, the baby's coming out, and I put it, you know, Bam! I'm going to go bam down again. I pulled. I did it again and again and again and again. I went, to, I, I went into the neighbor's yard and pulled at another direction, you know, to, to try to get, get, shake it loose. I pulled on that thing for an hour. One hour. My van was never the same again. <laughs> One hour of jerking on this thing until finally it broke loose and came up out of the ground. Now, that baby was rooted. See? And Paul is saying, you need to be rooted in God's love for you. You need to be rooted. It needs to be something that's so profound and so deep, so meaningful, so impacting. You need to be rooted in God's love. Verse 18, he says, And may you be able to feel and understand, as all God's children should, how long, how wide, how deep, and how high his love really is. Paul uses the language of love here. How long, how wide, how deep, how high is God's love? Think, remember a love poem, Elizabeth Barrett Browning. How do I love thee, she says. Let me count the ways. I love thee the depth and breadth and height my soul can reach. It's the language of love. Romans 8 says it. For I am confident of this, that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor power, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is not, this is not normal language. This is not language that is exact. This is not theological language. This is language that is poetry. It's describing what people have done for generations describing when they're describing romantic love when they're describing this thing that that is passes beyond words there aren't really words that can express it see he's verse 18 he says again and may you be able to feel and understand not you know not just understand but actually be able to feel as all God's children should how long, how wide, how deep, how high his love really is. 
and to experience this love for yourselves. Though it is so great, you will never see the end of it or fully know or understand it. And so at last, you will be filled up with God himself. Is there something inside of you that when we sing that song, Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, vast unmeasured, boundless, free, underneath me, all around me is the fullness you know, it's, it's love that you, it, 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 you need supernatural help to comprehend it. Now, when, when you're trying to communicate something, I had a chance to, this year to actually uh, share with, uh, with all the seniors in the preaching class and also to, um, uh, to be in a couple classes with the sophomores. But one of the insights that I try to share when I'm there is that when you're trying to communicate to somebody, um, the mind is not like a, a computer, that the mind is actually like a photo gallery. It's like a collection of images and pictures. And often we think that when God wants to communicate something, if you think about it, you realize this isn't true, that, that it's with definitions, you know, like I was thinking if I was to, if God wanted to teach us about love, he could have come up with a, with a definition about love. Um, he could have said, Jesus could have said, he could have said to the disciples, love is an unselfish concern that freely accepts another in loyalty and seeks their good. Right? That would have been a, what a nice definition of love Jesus would have given us. But Jesus doesn't give definitions like that. The Bible doesn't. What the Bible does instead is it gives you images. It gives you pictures of romantic love. It gives you uh, pictures of brotherly love. Greater love has no man than this than to lay down his life for his friend. But one of the greatest pictures that it gives, and the one I want to just focus on as I end my time with you right now, is parental love. See, God says, God says the love I have for you is like the love of a of a lover for this one that he wants to ravish or she wants to ravish. The love I have for you is like the sacrificial love of, of a brother, brotherly love that, that puts it all on the line for, for his partner, for his friend. He says, but he goes on and he says, but this love also is like parental love. And I realize I've skipped all over my notes here today, so you, you probably have given up trying to follow, but we're at the very end now, Luke chapter 15. You know, when you're in the flow, you just got to go with the flow. You can't let the notes bind you up here. Luke 15, starting with verse um, 20. This is what he says. And, and, and he's giving us a picture. He's trying to, God is trying to show us what, or Jesus is trying to show us what is God's love like. And he doesn't give us a definition. He gives us an image. And this is, this is what he says God's love is like. And he says, and he got up, speaking about the prodigal son, and he got up and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him. 
and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And and bring the fattened calf, kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. He says, look, my love, God is saying, my love for you is like the love of the Father in this story. You thought I stopped loving you when you went your own way and did your own thing and lived with prostitutes and did all this craziness. He said, I never stopped loving you. I never stopped. And when your heart turned toward me, you came with your, uh, all your rationale that if you could just come into my presence, you would live as a slave. It did, you know, you just went, and, I, and you didn't understand how totally unacceptable that was to me. That I wanted to clothe you with royal robes, that I wanted to lift you up to the highest place, that I wanted to celebrate you. This is the love that God has for us. It's like a parent's love. A parent was created to love. Now, you may be here like I was. I came from like a really major dysfunctional family. And I'm sure, you know, half of my problems uh, rose from that craziness that I was brought up in. But you know, just because you came from a dysfunctional family doesn't mean that you can't discover what true godly love is supposed to be about. The, the, as a matter of fact, I would say that there's a sense in which God makes almost a double promise to you. That he will show it to you. He says, though your father and mother forsake you, he says, I will take you up. I will. He's, he's saying, I am going to, you know, sometimes people... Have, have come to me with, uh, you know, all of my awkwardness and, and anxiety and everything else. And, and they've come and they've looked at my family and they've said, how could you, knowing what your background was, how could you ever have been a father like you have been a father? You know, you think that because you have never experienced something that you can't give it to other people. I want you to know that's absolutely not the truth. The truth is, Though you have not experienced it, you can get something from God that you're able to give to others and the people that are around you. So you're not limited by the pain you've had in the past or any of this kind of things. But when I say parental love, I'm talking about what, par- what parents are really supposed to be like. Not, I'm not talking about broken, crazy families that, that I'm very familiar with. I'm talking about what is true parental lo- love. And I just wrote down a few of the things that I have come to realize are true about parental love. And I believe they're true about God's love for you. First of all, in your notes, number one, a parent loves you even when you're ugly. And you only have to be a pastor to realize this because, because people have babies. And, you know, not every baby is beautiful. You know what I mean? So, I mean, so, some babies are, you know, really good looking, you know, but some babies, but you know what? 
when it comes to your parents, your parent looks at you and you are absolutely beautiful. Some of you think when your parents say to you, you're beautiful, you think my parents are lying. Your parents are not lying. They are convinced, right? You are beautiful. In their eyes, you are beautiful. This is one of the things that you, you can see about parents. They'll love you even when you're ugly. Another thing about parents is, number two, a parent, only, I'm talking about a healthy parent now, a parent only has eyes for you. I remember when years ago when my kids, each of my kids were uh, basketball players and uh, my daughter played and was on a championship team, as a matter of fact, and she I can remember when I would go to the games. I was, I've never really been a sports person my whole life. I'm not really interested in sports. But when I would go to the game, I would go to the game, and it was like when my daughter was not on the court, it was like the room was black. It was like dark. It was like, what's happening on there? People are running around. I don't really see what's going on. I don't really get it, right? But when that coach would wave my daughter off the bench and she would come out onto the onto the, um, uh, the court, it was like a spotlight from heaven came down. <laughs> and all I could see was her. I was like, ah, you, know, you know, everything she was, I just could see. Ah. She, she went back to the bench, <laughs> the place went dark again. You know, she'd come back out again. <laughs> I mean, I, I hate to say it, right, because you, you should be like cheering for the team and cheering for everybody. I was only interested in my daughter, right? My daughter, she, my, I only had eyes for her. I could, I, there was a mother, I remember, uh, the last name of the cup of the family was Wolf, right? And her daughter's name was, actually, she still lives here, works here in Cat Bethany Wolf. And every time Bethany would shoot a basket, the mother would stand up and go, oh! She would, do you remember that? She would, she, still she still does it. Okay, so, so I, I, I would, I, I'd look at that and I think to myself, she's got the same disease I have. You know, it's, it's this parent thing, right? It's, a, it's this parent thing where a parent only has eyes for you. Okay, here's the third thing we see about parental love, right? A parent will sacrifice anything to save their child. A parent would give up bodily organs, no problem at all. I've, I've read stories of parents who their kids got a disease and the parents became doctors so that they could work on trying to heal that child from that disease. Um, they would give all their fortune, sell their house, do whatever they needed to do to save their child. They just, a parent will sacrifice anything to save the child. A parent, number four, forgets the pain a child causes. I can say that with a certainty because if it were not true, there would be no second children. <laughs> right? I mean, I, I was with my wife when she had Toby. It was like an all night long ordeal. And I was like trying to be, uh, you know, a coach, you know, trying to, you know, breathe like that. I mean, she was screaming, pain, you know, all, you know, all this kind of thing. She has the baby. I, I, when the night is over, I mean, I'm drenched. I'm, you know, I'm wiped out. The night is over. I'm thinking to myself, that's the last child we're ever having. I mean, that is not, <laughs> I am not doing that again. That was like, 
And there's no way, no person in their right mind, she would never do that again. She would never, ever do that again. There is no way. And I can remember a couple months later, she started talking about, you know, maybe we should have another kid. I thought to myself, are you out of your mind? Do you remember any of this? Do you remember? And she didn't remember, really. She didn't really remember the, oh, yeah, but it was okay. You know, you, it was okay you were ready to strangle me. You know, I mean. A parent, this is, I'm just telling you the truth now. A parent forgets the pain a child causes. Forgets the pain of childbirth. Forgets the pain of sacrifice. What your parents had to sacrifice for you. I mean, like I said, I, I came from a crazy family, but people, they would lock me up and leave me in the house all day. But, the, but I'm talking about normal homes. What you're, like, you, you go to my son's house, these people don't do anything but take care of their kids. I can remember when they had twins. Twins. I thought, well, that's it. They're not going to have any more kids. Now, I mean, you have twins, right? You know? I mean, they were up night. She was nursing 24 hours a day. My, I remember my, I have a picture of my son leaning over a table, falling asleep with a baby bottle hanging over a kid's face. Just absolutely exhausted. Everybody was exhausted. Everybody was everything, you know, the whole, now they got five kids. I mean, I'm like, there is no way. There's so much sacrifice in being a parent. Number five, a parent loves you even when you do wrong. You know, this is, this is just a truth, you know. You, you, you'll see sometimes they'll interview the parent of a victim in a murder, for example. They'll interview the parent of the victim, but you never hear them interview the parent of the person who did the crime. And the reason is, it's embarrassing. Because that parent will look at you. Here their, their child murdered somebody else. That parent will look at you and say, he's really not a bad kid. You know, I don't know what happened. I don't, you, know, I, 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 you know, I don't know. And they'll, and they'll try and defend the murderer. Because there's something in the parent that they love that child and they, they, they just love them even if they do wrong. And then number six, a parent delights in leaving an inheritance. Nothing makes a person happier than thinking that after their lifetime of effort and work, they have something to give to their children, to leave some kind of inheritance to them, some, some way. I've seen businessmen who built up their business and then their children really didn't want to... The, to um, take over the business. And I've seen the crushed hearts of those businessmen because nothing in their heart means more to them than the idea that they would be able to put into their child's hand what they had built and what they had invested in. And then finally, number seven, a parent's love is virtually inexhaustible. As long as that mother is drawing breath, she has a concern for her child. Child. And parenting never ends. It's, it doesn't, you know, my kids are growing up. They're almost 40 years old, my oldest ch ch child. It never stops. You never, it, that love and that feeling toward them never stops.
Now, I want you to, I want you to do something right now. Because I've tried to paint a picture for you. And I want you just to shut your eyes and just still yourself for a moment. And I want to speak a word into you right in this moment. Would you do that? Just be quiet. Just still yourself for a moment. And this, I want you to hear this, what I'm speaking right now, as a prophetic word. God is saying to you, I love you like a parent. You never look ugly to me. I only have eyes for you. I would do anything to see you growing up healthy. I've forgotten all the goofy stuff from your past, and all that matters to me is that you're doing well now. My greatest joy is to see you be able to receive all of my riches. I love you completely, utterly, and to the end. I love you completely, utterly, and to the end. If you were the only person in the world, I love you. I love you in that way. I only have eyes for you. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. Lord, I ask this truth would be like Velcro in people's souls. That, that the more they struggle, the more it clings, Lord. Like a barbed arrow, it can only go deeper. It can't be pulled out until they have the full experience of your love. Until they are filled with God himself because they're so confident, so sure that the Lord loves them. Not because they deserve it, not because they're good, not because any, but he loves them. Lord, we thank you for it right now. Make it so real in each of our lives. Jesus' name.